The ushers are going to come at this time. And as they come, I'm going to uh, just give a few announcements uh, while they pass the offering plate. This is very significant. First of all, I need to thank a group of individuals who came out yesterday and worked incredibly hard in the pouring down rain to try to get the outside to where it looks as good as it does. And I am so grateful for them. There were uh, at least eight to 10, maybe even 12 people who showed up yesterday and they worked incredibly hard. And I think that we as a church uh, ought to be appreciative. So I wanna personally say thank you to those who served. Uh, I also would, God, that's good. I also wanted to just mention, as many of you are aware, there was significant flooding that occurred in the lower part of South Carolina this past week. And I've had several individuals who have asked, what can we do as a church or as individuals to be able to help individuals in need? Uh, I will tell you that the district has organized a couple efforts to try to uh, send help down to many of the churches and the people that are in uh, the Columbia area and closer to the beach. Uh, actually, there's a church, it's called New Hope Church in Charleston, and we are going to be taking a uh, load of items, typically water, baby wipes, those kinds of things, supplies that could be very easily accessible and usable to the people down there. Uh, there is a group that is going to be going down probably Wednesday or Thursday from the district. So what I would suggest is if you would like to participate in uh, donating toward that so that we can actually send supplies down from the church, if you would just come by the church anytime between now and Tuesday afternoon, that way we can make sure they have the supplies so that they can take the materials down there. Uh, we will make sure we get it to them so that they, the district can then transport it uh, down to the churches and the individuals in that area. I'll tell you, it's really nice to know when you go through stuff like this that you don't have to do it by yourself. But there are other Christians and brothers and sisters who will come alongside us and support us during times like this. I do want to make one brief introduction because I rarely get to do this. My mother and father-in-law are in town, and it is great to have them with us today. Carol and Stan, would you just stand up for me real quick so everybody can see you and greet you? I do not know how long they will be here. When we lived in Colorado, they came and stayed for three months for one stretch. So we'll see how, how long they can stand us, and uh, we're glad to have them uh, with us. Uh, as you guys know, I've been preaching a sermon that has been dealing with the signs of life, taking common, ordinary road signs and using those as sort of a marker, a reminder to us of biblical truths. And we've looked at a couple different ones. For example, we looked at the yield sign, which ought to remind us that we are to be yielded to Christ, that we are always to be surrendered to him, making sure that we live a life that would honor him. We looked at the one-way sign, I think a couple weeks ago when I was here and specifically identifying the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And even though there may be a lot of great causes in our society, a lot of great works that are being done, there is still only one way for us to be redeemed. You can't be good enough. You can't try another religious avenue. There is only one way and it is through Jesus Christ. So those are some of them that we've looked at today. Today, I want us 
uh, to, I don't even know if, if it's going to make the screen behind me, but it's uh, the, the sign is Choice Ahead. Uh, it's actually a sign where you have uh, basically uh, two lanes of traffic going different ways. There it is. Uh, you have a choice to make, and all of us have a choice to make. We've been basing this series out of the book of Genesis, specifically dealing with the story of Abraham. And there was a time where Abraham reached a point where he had to make a choice. In his case, it had to do with he and his nephew Lot. They had been very successful, very prosperous, and they reached a point where their, their tribesmen, the other individuals who were working for them, taking care of their herds, began to fight amongst themselves over land and over water rights. And they, they didn't want to fight, so Abraham says to Lot... How about you choose which way you want to go? And whatever way you go, I'll go the other way. I'll tell you, it had to be probably one of the hardest things for Lot to say, or for for Abraham to say. And the reason is because this was family. All the way back to the beginning when Abram was led by God to go to a place that God would show him, Lot was with him. He was the one person that Abram could always count on. And Abram says, I don't want to fight with you. You're my family. You're, You're like a brother to me. Tell you what, you choose which way you want to go, and I'll go the other way so that our people don't fight. We're still family. We just can't really be that close to each other. I I, I want to look at that a little bit later in the service. I really want to focus this morning to begin with on a passage from John chapter 11. You can go ahead and turn there already if you want, but let me kind of introduce it with a, a little illustration, something that happened to me. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to fly to Birmingham, Alabama, where we stayed with uh, Mama and Papa. And uh, while I was there for a few days, I had a great time. But I will tell you that my wife got to stay longer than me with the kids. It was one of those trips where they had gone down a few weeks earlier. It was the summertime, and it was a nice time to be able to uh, just enjoy her time with family. Uh, And she went down, but I wanted to be able to spend some time so... I ended up flying down. I flew down, spent, I don't know, probably four or five days with them. While I was there, we celebrated my son's birthday. That was uh, Michael. And it was his second birthday. And it's not often that I can remember what my son got for his second birthday. But I got to tell you, this has brought so much joy to him. And he still plays with it all the time. And I brought it with you to show you. This is called... I don't know if I'm allowed to use this word. It's a fart gun. I just wanted you to know the joy that we have experienced for the last two years because of that. And I'm going to blame my mother-in-law and say that she probably got it for him just because she's here. I will tell you, we had a great time while we were there. After That may be one of the poorest choices I've ever made from the pulpit, just to let you guys know. It's Okay. Had a great time while we were there, but the time came for me to leave, and I flew. And I don't know how they work out all of the routes, but I had to fly from Birmingham, Alabama, to Detroit, back down to Philadelphia. And that just doesn't make any sense to me, but that's what I had to do. And I will tell you that it was a very eventful flight. Not just the flight. Actually, the flight to Detroit was a piece of cake. The flight from Detroit to Philadelphia was not a piece of cake. 
First of all, we sat in the terminal. It was supposed to be a very quick layover, 30 to 45 minutes, and then we were going to be boarding the plane and heading south, but there was bad weather. And as we sat and we waited, we sat and we waited, and we sat and we waited, and it seemed like we were never going to leave. And finally, the time came for us to board the plane. We boarded the plane, and then we sat and we waited. And we sat and we waited. For two and a half hours, we sat and we waited on the plane. I will tell you that some of the passengers on the plane handled it very well. Not all of them did. I had one individual who was sitting close by to me, and as he was sitting there, about 10 minutes into sitting there, he began to complain. He cursed at the, the stewardess repeatedly. He was yelling. He was being obnoxious. He handled himself very poorly. And I'll tell you, he probably loved it when two hours into waiting, the baby two rows back began to cry. And of course, I'm being a little bit sarcastic. He did not enjoy his experience. Now, there were other people there and they were great. There was a, another pilot, uh, an, an individual who was just along for the ride and he was sitting close by and he would give us play by play of the things that are probably going on. And after a while, I will admit that even got a little bit old, but it was nice to be able to have conversation with all these people. I'll tell you, while I sat there, I discovered a problem. While I was sitting in the, terminal, in the terminal, my wallet had fallen out of my back pocket. Two and a half hours sitting on this plane, I knew I could see the spot where my wallet was, but I couldn't get to it because they wouldn't let us go back inside. So I immediately began to make phone calls. That's the advantage of not going anywhere is I could make phone calls. I'll tell you, that negative situation being stuck on the plane turned into a positive. By the time we left, by the time we flew out, my wallet had been found, had been turned into security, and I had already talked with the individuals. The money was still in the wallet. Now, between the time that security actually got me my wallet back, the money was gone. Someone in security apparently had taken it, but that was a separate issue. The point was that negative situation for some of us turned into a very positive thing, but others it turned into a very negative thing. The choice that we must make is whether or not to allow the circumstances of our lives to defeat us or to be things that help mold and shape us. Today, as we look in John chapter 11, we read this. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. I think it's a fairly familiar passage to most of us. Apparently, Jesus had established a very good relationship with Martha and Lazarus and Mary, basically the entire family. They've been together enough that when Lazarus becomes ill, they know that the first place that they should turn is to Jesus. And so they do. But Jesus is away on business. He's out ministering to other people, which normally would not be a big deal, but he's at least two days away. 
Well, let's do the math. It's two days away. That means that it's two days to get to them. So that means you're talking at least four days, which again, shouldn't be a problem because as you know, Jesus could simply say the word and Lazarus could be healed. In fact, on multiple occasions, we see that. All Jesus had to do was say he's healed and it would have been done. I will tell you that there have been times that I have looked at this passage and I missed this aspect of what was taking place. Jesus could have healed Lazarus at that very moment. And I think at times what I've done is I've assumed that Jesus sort of was surprised by the death of Lazarus. That Jesus somehow failed. He didn't get there in time and therefore he's playing catch up when he has to raise Lazarus from the dead. But actually Jesus from the very beginning knew what was going to take place. Jesus, when he addresses his disciples, when word comes to him about Lazarus and his sickness, Jesus already had a plan in place and he was going to turn even this negative situation into something good. Although Lazarus' death does bring great sorrow to Mary and Martha, Jesus allows Lazarus' death simply for the purpose of turning something bad into something good. Now I want to clarify what I mean by that. Some people assume that every bad thing that happens is an act of punishment from God. Perhaps you've sinned and God is somehow getting even with you because of your choices. Well, it's simply not true. The fact is that we live in a fallen world where people get sick and bad things happen to some great people. Happen to the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus said that the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Another thought is that every time something bad happens, that God must be trying to teach you a lesson. Or that he may be allowing this to happen to accomplish some bigger purpose. I'll go back to what I just said, though. Sometimes bad things happen simply because we live in a fallen world. Is it possible that God is going to use that tragedy, that sorrow, that loss for something good? Absolutely. In fact, Romans tells us in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. The point is that there are times that bad things will happen and God will turn into something amazing. But don't think that because something bad has happened, God must be trying to teach you a lesson or God must be doing something incredible to hurt you to bring healing to others. I'm going to tell you, there'll be times that your hurt will bring healing to others. But God didn't do it to you just so that they could have their experience. I don't know why so many of us have had to endure such difficult circumstances in life. But what I do know is that there will be times that we have to endure those difficult circumstances simply to get from point A to point B. I like the way James puts it. He says in James 1, verses 2 through 4, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. In other words, as you go through your struggles, you can trust that God can turn it into something good. Now for our passage today, God's purpose for the trial is clearly defined. It says in verse 15 that Jesus is glad about this simply because what they are about to see will help build the faith of his disciples. 
You think about that for a minute. Lazarus is sick. It hasn't been reported yet that Lazarus is dead, yet Jesus is already glad. Why? Because this is going to build the faith of disciples. He actually tells them Lazarus has fallen asleep, but this is a good thing. Take a moment and think about the struggles of your life. How has God used those things to help build you up and to shape you into the person that you are today? Think about the good things. Think about the struggles, the hardship that you faced. How is your faith stronger today than it was when you first experienced those struggles? Now I want to point out two other things from this passage has to do with the nature of Jesus' miraculous work. There were many times that Jesus performed great miracles that defied logic and went against the norm, but this was unique because it dealt with Christ's mastery over death. Jesus seems to intentionally wait until after Lazarus is good and dead. Now, I know that a woman is never just kind of pregnant, and in the same way, an individual is never just kind of dead. But Jesus waits long enough to be able to go. Remember, it took two days for word to get to Jesus. Then he stays and he ministers for a couple more days. And then he's got to travel back another two-day journey. So you're talking about close to a week before Jesus will even get back to where Lazarus was. Well, Jesus doesn't come running. He doesn't rush there. But rather, he waits. And we're told that by the time he gets there, Lazarus, his body has already begun to decay, that he stinketh. In other words, he'd been dead for several days. It was possible for them to mistake an individual as being dead for maybe a day. I don't know. Maybe his his heart just slowed to such a rate that they just assumed he was dead. He didn't appear to be moving at all. And they thought, you know, maybe he was just passed out. But for three, four days, seriously? There is no way to explain this except this man really was dead. His body had begun to decay. A memorial had already begun to take place. People were coming to be able to say their farewells, to celebrate his life. They knew that this man was dead. When Jesus gets there, Mary and Martha greet him. And as they do, they are filled with great sorrow. We're told in the shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept not at the death of Lazarus, but at the pain and the sorrow that he saw in Mary and Martha. This was a, without a doubt, this was the death of Lazarus. When you consider the fact that God allowed this to happen, Mary and Martha probably did not enjoy this. This was probably the hardest day of their lives. Yet it was about to turn into probably the greatest day of their life. Their sorrow would turn to celebration. Their grieving, their mourning would turn into laughter. They would be able to celebrate with everyone else. Imagine when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Imagine the joy that would have come over Mary and Martha as they knew their brother was dead. Yet here he stands alive. By the way, Lazarus would become an incredible testimony to Jesus' power over death. In the days that would follow, not only would there be a plot to take the life of Jesus, which of course he would be crucified as a part of that, but 
the individuals who plotted against Jesus would even plot against Lazarus because they figured, you know what, if this guy's alive, he is a living testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. We need him gone too. People were coming to faith simply because of what they saw in Lazarus. Imagine you went to his wake. You saw him laying there. You could smell him. You knew that this man was dead. And all of a sudden you see him walking and talking and acting just like everything's as normal as could be. This man was an incredible testimony to the transforming work of God. A couple aspects of this. I want you to realize, first of all, Mary and Martha, although they greet Jesus with great sorrow, they knew where to turn in the midst of their trial. They were on a dark road. They were in a a place in their life they never wanted to be, but they knew that during this time they could depend on Jesus. So they came to him. This was a choice that they made, by the way. We need to do the same thing. When we face those struggles, the first thing we need to do is to come before the Lord and to ask him to do what nobody else can do. I'm going to tell you, he's not always going to raise the dead. I wish that he would always do everything that I asked him to do, but he doesn't. But I will tell you, he is the only hope that we have when we walk those dark roads. As we look at that, though, we also need to understand that not only does he bring hope, he makes things even better than they were before. Jesus made things better. And I'm telling you, Mary and Martha loved Lazarus before he got sick and died. But imagine how much they appreciated him after he was resurrected again. In the same way, God can take our lives and all the brokenness that's there and he can make them even better than they were before. And a big part of this goes back to that choice. If we allow him to be the one who is in charge, if we surrender our will and allow him to be the one who really dictates what's right and what's wrong and what we're okay with, when we allow him to be the Lord of everything in our lives, he can take those things, even the things that seem okay, and he can make them better than they were before. That is what Jesus Christ does for us. Well, our passage today includes a man with a negative attitude as well. Mary and Martha knew to go to Jesus. There was a man who had a negative attitude as well. It's a man named Thomas. If we would continue reading verse 16 there in John chapter 11, says, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go too so that we can die with Jesus. Jesus wants to go back to Judea where Lazarus and his family is. And the problem here is that the last time they were there, there were some people that were a little unfriendly to Jesus. And here Thomas is, I would call him the logical one. He's thinking through this. He's saying, you know, Lazarus, it didn't, or or Jesus, it didn't work out real well when we went there last time. The people there weren't very kind. We're going to go back. You know, if we go back, we're probably going to die. So Lazarus says, tell you what. Why don't all of us disciples go with you too? We'll all die. And what he's actually doing here is it's an underhanded complaint. He's looking at the situation and he doesn't really believe that God could turn this into something good. To him, it seems as though the story is already over. By this point in verse 16, Jesus has already explained that Lazarus is already asleep, that he's dead, he's not alive anymore. And here, Lazarus says, good, we'll all go so we can all die together. He doesn't see the opportunity that God has sitting in front of him. 
You sense the sarcasm in his voice. He doesn't want to go there because of the risks and the, the, of the journey ahead. Nobody disputes whether there are risks on the journey. Jesus doesn't object, neither does any of the disciples. But I want you to see here what Thomas could not see. Before Jesus and his disciples were risks and opportunities. Thomas saw the risks. Jesus saw the opportunity. Maybe the time has come that we must adjust our attitudes. Some of the trials that we face today do carry with them great potential for sorrow and pain, but perhaps they also carry the opportunity for success and growth. Now let me take you back to our passage in Genesis. Still dealing with choices. Genesis 13, verse 8 to 13 says this, So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. I want you to consider the choice that stood before Abram and Lot. First of all, note that one of them chooses peace. That's really what Abram's doing. It's not that Abram wants to, sell, to separate from his nephew, but rather he is choosing peace. He doesn't want there to be strife. He doesn't want there to be disagreement. He makes a choice. A Abram says to Lot, we need to do something different. I love you, and I always want to look at you as my close relative. But we can't keep doing the same things that we're doing, so Abram chooses peace. He says, you choose, I'll let you. You know what, in their culture, Abram was the elder, which means that Abram had the right, the authority. He could say, I'm going to go this way. Lot, you need to go the other way. And based on their culture, Lot would have had to obey. But Abram takes a different approach. He says, you choose which way you want to go. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Abram gives him a choice, but really the choice is peace. Lot chooses. He chooses comfort. I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with comfort. There's nothing wrong with what Lot does in the idea that he wanted to prosper. He looks out and he sees a land that's well watered and it's got all the amenities. It's almost like you've been living out in the country and all of a sudden you get a chance to move next door to Walmart. You've got all the resources available to you and you're thinking that's where I want to be. And that's really what Lot chooses to do. He chooses comfort rather than what's best. See, the problem here is Sodom is already an immoral city. It is already a place where sin abounds and it is about to lead to destruction. But Lot could not see that because what he saw was the opportunity for comfort and he chose comfort. Second thing that I want you to see here is there is an effect to the choices that they make. Lot chooses the land around Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happens is Abram, by nature, gets the other piece of land. 
That other piece of land is the land of Canaan, the land that would be promised to the Israelites that Abram would take as his possession for, his, for generations to come. I will tell you that the, the impact, the effect of their choices was significant. For generations, their families would pay the price of the choices that were made. Consider Lot, who settled down right on the edge of Sodom and Gomorrah. He would have to deal with the, not only the, the effects, the, 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 the prosperity that came along with it, but being in Sodom and Gomorrah also carried great weight. And consider his daughters, who they would marry individuals from the land of Sodom. Yet their husbands would die as they fled Sodom and Gomorrah at its destruction. Consider Lot's wife. Lot's wife would actually be killed as they left. Lot would find himself with his daughters stranded in a cave, thinking they were the only people left in all the world. And he would actually commit, commit sexual immorality with his daughters, all because they made a choice and it was absolutely the wrong choice. Then consider Abram. Abram ends up in the promised land. Now, his family would have to go on a very difficult route as well. There would be struggles that would take place. They would actually end up as slaves in Egypt. They would go all, all through an incredible story of redemption, as, as if they were completely losing everything and then being restored. Uh, Abram would receive the land of Canaan. His family would, generations down the road. Here's my point. What I want you to realize here today is that the choices you make will affect you, but it will also affect your family for generations to come. The choices you make today will carry consequences far beyond today. It will be affected in your life and in your children's lives and in your grandchildren's lives. Consider this, teenagers. The decisions you make, the choices you make today regarding school, regarding the way you date, who you date, the things you do in physical relationships, those choices will affect your future. What will happen is down the road, you will either carry baggage or you will actually grow because of those choices. Choose wisely. Don't make choices that you're going to regret 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road. Young couples, the choices you make with each other now will affect things down the road. I was talking to somebody earlier today. They were dealing with the debt that individuals carry. 91% of Americans today live in debt. And one of the primary reasons is because we don't even know how to keep a budget. We don't know how to make a budget. But the choices we make today with our money will actually affect us significantly down the road. The time that we spend with each other as families is significant. Make the right choice now because it will affect you down the road. How many parents have looked back and years down the road, they'll say to themselves, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. The choices we make now carry great weight in our lives. So I challenge you. Look at the choices that sit before you. Be aware that they carry consequences that will affect your life for a long time to come. As I close this morning, I want to challenge you to make choices that would truly honor God. As a part of this, I know it's a recap for what I already did a couple weeks ago. Choose Christ first. 
He is the only way. Choose Christ and allow him to be the one to lead and to guide and to be your satisfaction, the provider for you. But then beyond choosing Christ, allow him to lead you in the choices you make now. Do you spend time praying, God, what is it that you would have for me? Do you consider the, the effect of your choices? Some of you are going through difficult stuff right now. I'm going to tell you right now, you need to come before the Lord. And you need to ask him to make the choice for you. Speaking from experience, I'll mess it up if I do it myself. So I need him to do it. You need him to do it as well. Everyone bow your heads with me if you would and close your eyes. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are grateful for the choice that sits in front of us. First of all, for the choice to follow you. Lord, we come before you grateful for the fact that your salvation has come to us. We know there's only one way, and it is through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be aware of how impactful that choice is. So that generations down the road, people will look upon our descendants, and they will be able to say that that is a family that is devoted to Christ because they have seen it modeled for generations. Lord, I pray that you would help us to perhaps begin that journey for our generations that would follow. Lord, I pray that as a dad, that my kids would see me as one who has chosen Christ above all else. Lord, I pray that you would help them to choose Christ as well. And then I pray that years down the road that their children would make the same choice. But let it begin here. Lord, I pray that you would help those who today have choices that must be made. Some are going through difficult things, and as a result of that, there's a sense of bitterness that is beginning to well up inside of us. Maybe a sense of doubt where we're questioning whether you truly are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And for whatever reason, we've allowed the circumstances of our lives to affect who we are. Right now, I ask that you would help us to make the choice right now to call out to you, to find you as our satisfaction and our strength, as opposed to turning away from you. Lord, I pray that you would turn these negative situations into something good, but help us to choose you in this process. Well, whatever it is that the people of this church face today, may they sense your presence working in them and transforming them. Take our brokenness and make us whole. Make us better than we were before. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to do something we don't do every Sunday, but it is a privilege to be able to do it, and that is to participate in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we do this, uh, it, it turns out to be about once every other month, but the plan is typically to do it every month, usually the first Sunday of the month. And uh, what our goal is, is to remember the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, actually, there are very few things that Christ called us to remember. Uh, he doesn't actually call us to remember his birth, ironically, even though we spend an awful lot of time celebrating his birth. But the one thing he did call us to remember is his death. As he met with his disciples the night before he was arrested, he shared with them about his body, which was about to be broken, and his blood that was about to be shed. And he shared with them this was so important to understand that this was more than just a typical sacrifice. And what I mean by that is, first of all, people died on crosses all the time back then. 
individuals who were common criminals, it was not unusual for, for them to be killed on a cross. It was not unusual for an individual to walk the countryside and see cross after cross after cross. But Jesus is different, primarily because those individuals who are receiving that punishment were receiving a just punishment. Jesus Christ had done nothing wrong, yet he willingly would become the sacrifice for us. A few weeks ago, I shared with you that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ pays the wage of our sin when he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. As he met with his disciples, he shared with them and he told them that every time they ate their bread, they were to remember the body that was broken for them. Every time they drank their juice or their wine, they were to remember the blood that was shed for them. Just think for a moment. What does his sacrifice mean to you? His body broken, his blood shed. How are you different today because of that? I will tell you, I have been redeemed. I am not the same man I once was. I have a hope that I did not have before. I have a promise of eternal life only because his body was broken and his blood was shed. Every one of us today needs to realize this is more than a ritual. This is a celebration of life, our life, because of his death. As we participate in the Lord's Supper today, I'm going to invite everyone to participate who is a child of God. And we're going to invite people in just a few moments. Uh, I've got some retired ministers who are going to come up and they're going to help serve the communion elements. As you receive the elements, what I'm going to ask you to do is to take them back to your pew, wait until everyone has received the elements, and then we'll all partake of them at the same time. Uh, I would like for us to, before we do this, to, to just say a word of prayer. And it's more preparing our hearts to make sure that we truly appreciate what we're celebrating. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, first of all, we thank you for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. But we did not deserve such grace. But today we celebrate that grace. But we ask today that you would help us to truly understand what your sacrifice means. Lord, thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for paying the price for my sins and giving me a hope and giving me a promise. And even in this life, giving me purpose. But it is only because you willingly allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be shed that any of that is possible. For each individual who's here today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly appreciate what your sacrifice means. But we praise you for being such a gracious and loving God that you would lay down your life for us is amazing. Lord, I pray that you would be honored today as we celebrate this act. Lord, I know these are common elements. It's just bread and it's just juice. But in this moment, help us to realize that it represents so much more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the uh, ministers if they would come up and they will receive the elements who will then hand it out. Uh, I don't care which aisle you come up and down, all that stuff. Just.
Don't run each other over. That's the only thing I would say. As Jesus met with his disciples that night, surely they did not understand all that he was doing or all that he was saying. They thought he came to establish his kingdom, and he did. But he didn't come to do it the way they expected him to do it. The only way that an eternal kingdom could be set up is if a pure spotless lamb were to sacrifice everything and destroy the old way. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He was without sin, had done nothing wrong, yet he became our sacrifice, paid our price. I'll tell you, I deserve to die on that cross. You deserve to die on that cross. Yet Jesus Christ said, I'll do it. And in doing so, he set up a new way and a new kingdom. He said, this bread, which you eat at every meal, every time you eat this, I want you to remember the fact that my body was broken for you partake of the bread together then he would take in their case wine because they drank wine at every meal he said this represents my blood that is shed and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins that is a principle that was true all the way back in the, the old testament at the very beginning jesus said this represents my blood the blood of a pure spotless lamb being shed for you so that your sins could be forgiven. It should have been my blood, should have been your blood, but it was his. And they partook of the wine. Father, again, we come before you, so grateful for your sacrifice, for the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. Lord, what an honor it is for us today to have that promise of eternal life because of what you did. I cannot understand the love you have for us, knowing that you would willingly send your one and only son to die so that we can live. Father, all I can do is say thank you. Lord, help me to live a life that celebrates the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Help each of us to live as those who have been redeemed. And we will give you praise, honor, and glory for what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The cups that you have in your pews, if you leave them there, we'll make sure that they are picked up afterwards. Uh, To each of the ministers, thank you so much for being willing to serve and helping us to be able to minister uh, in this way today. I want to... I want to thank each of you for being a part of our service today, and I want to encourage you, if you do not have a church home, we would love to have you come back. What a blessing it is to be able to worship with you today. Uh, What makes this church special is the presence of God, but one of the things that comes with that is the people of God. It's great to have you guys with us today. Thank you for being with us. If you did not go and say hello to Josh uh, during our time of fellowship, be sure you do before you leave today. 
Josh, would you do me a favor? You can bring your dad with you too. You guys want to go out there in the foyer just so people can see you on their way out. You can go with them. It's all right. <laughs> Dave Tolan is one of the missionaries that we support as well, and it's great to have him with us this morning, and uh, it's great to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, go with the blessing of God today. Thank you. <laughs> 